Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So true. Uh, I told you earlier in the welcome that I would uh, tell you a little bit more about Boj. Um, Boj, would you come uh, up here? We were in the Philippines uh, almost two months ago, and and uh, I got to see Boj there in Iloilo. But we met her a couple years ago when she was 14. And uh, and uh, Boj, thank you for being here and stopping by uh, on your U.S. tour. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, hello, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> um, I'm Doniel Bodge Pinuela Gallianero. You can call me Bodge. And I'm already 17. And I live in Iloilo City in the Philippines. So I'm glad to be here. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're really excited about it. Uh, and uh, Pastor Chad was driving back from vacation. He was supposed to get here later today, but he rushed so that he could be here because uh, he's excited. Tell us uh, when and how you decided to follow Jesus, um, Boj. Actually, I grew up in a Christian family, and I really don't know what salvation really means. So... I thought that attending church services makes me saved. And I never thought that I have to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior in order to claim that salvation and eternal life. So one summer camp, a pastor challenged me what do... Uh, he asked me if I really, do I really have a relationship that I have been established to God. So in that sense, I doubted myself. I asked myself, do I really have that relationship, that close relationship to God? And in that moment, I realized that I have to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So it changed my whole life. All right, amen. Praise God. And then, and then after you became a follower of Jesus, we've, we've been going to the Philippines for like five years. And mm -hmm. somewhere in that process, we, we do this thing called uh, Renew Conferences and you attend it. Tell us some of the things that you learn in the Renew Conference that help you as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, actually, God revealed to me this... Um, words to me. So first thing, uh, first memory verse, my life verse is Jeremiah 29 11, which says, for I have the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So in that sense, God has planned me to do something. And at first I did not know what is it. So I attended a conference, a seminar where Pastor Chad is there and the young people, especially Ate Karina and other Chris Branya and other young people were there to train us. And I, God revealed to me that, oh, I have to be a disciple. And by a disciple, it's not just like going into church service. 
serving the Lord, singing in the choir or something, but also we need to follow his command, which is to go and share the gospel. So I realized that being a disciple means to go and share the gospel. So I was challenged and I, I learned that you need to share the gospel in all the people, especially in your friends, family, in my classmates. I began, I was on fire and I was inspired to start bus ministry. I go to the bus and share the gospel while I travel to school because our school is a little bit far from my home from which I stay. So I grabbed it as an opportunity to share the gospel by using a one minute story which has been a tool used by Pastor Chad and the Renew so that we can share the gospel easier and faster. So in that way, it makes more sense. And I've got to share the gospel and create new believers. I was, I never knew that God would tell me to do this. So I hope that in my very young age, I have inspired you to do that too. You can do it whenever you're young or old, you can do it because that's God, that is what God has commanded us to do. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Thank you so much, Boj. Yeah. Before you go back to your seat, can you say something? You speak English and Tagalog and uh, Ilongo, right? Yeah. So say something in Ilongo or Tagalog. Um. Maayong adlaw sa inyong atanan, which means good morning to every one of you, to each and every one. And kabay pa nga pakamaayuhon kamo sang ginoo. Um, may God bless you all. Amen. So, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Salamat. 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 We got calls, young people. Got calls, senior adults. God calls all kinds of people because God is not limited by age when he calls us. That's the case with David. God called David when he was a shepherd boy, when he was a young boy at his father's house, and he took this shepherd boy and he made him a king. Today's message is called From Shepherding to Kingship. And our text tells us in a concise way of David's arrival to the throne. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It reads like this. 2 Samuel 5, beginning with verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The God who chose David as a shepherd boy, led him on a journey in preparation to be a shepherd king. 
I want you to know that the God who chose you, the God who called you, is also wanting to lead you in a journey, in a journey of preparation and a journey of completion. Let me share with you three things that I see in this passage that I think are true in the life of David and can be applicable to us. The first one is that his call was confirmed by people. You see that all the tribes of Israel came to uh, confirm David as king. The, the, the kingdom was divided. Saul had been uh, king and, and the, the kingdom was divided and somehow David was made king over Judah, which is one of the tribes on the southern end. But now that Saul was dead, the other tribes of Israel came together and they came to David and they said, look, We've been watching you and your king material. It is evident that God has chosen you to be king. They recognize God's call on his life. They said, God has said of you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their people. You know that many years before that event, at the beginning of our series, we talked about the time when Samuel was directed by God to go anoint the next king of Israel. And he went to Jesse's house and God surprised them by not choosing the biggest, the oldest, the strongest of the family, but they had to bring David in from the fields. They didn't even think there was a possibility that he could be anointed as king. He was so small, he was so young. But, but Samuel says, God said to Samuel, that's the one I've chosen. And God, uh, uh, Samuel anointed David at that moment. Fast forward a couple of decades, and now you have the whole nation of Israel recognizing God's choice of David to be their king. See, God often chooses his people and calls them in private and small ways. Moses, the great leader of Israel, was called in a private way. It was a burning bush, and it was just Moses and God. It wasn't until much later that Moses' ministry went public. When the little boy Samuel was at the temple, he was there, and, and there weren't a whole lot of people there. So when he heard a voice calling him, he thought it was Eli, the priest. And, and he would ask Eli, are you calling me? He said, no, I'm not calling you. But it was God, God that was calling him as a little boy. But it wasn't until years later that his ministry became evident. Jesus, when he was born and his mother held him, his mother knew in her heart what Jesus would become. But he didn't go public until he was 30 years old. Peter was called as an ordinary fisherman by the ordinary Sea of Galilee, and Jesus called him to become a fisher of people. It wouldn't be till years later that Peter would be an apostle. Saul was on the road to Damascus, and only he and his companions heard the voice of the resurrected Lord that called him in, to follow him and to be a minister to the Gentiles. And it wasn't until years later that people would know that this great apostle started a movement that, that took Christianity all over the known world. God's call on our lives is usually quiet and private and unassuming, but eventually others will confirm it. Eventually others will say, yes, yes, I see God in your life. I see the evidence of the call in your life. That's the case uh, for David. That's what we do when we have ordinations. If you ever seen an ordination here, we have deacons or pastors that come to the front and we lay hands on them to ordain them. The moment that we lay hands on them is not the moment that God calls them. Usually God called them a long time ago. 
and they began to serve him. And when we lay hands on him, on them, what we're saying is we see God at work in your lives. We see the evidence of God's call in your life and we're confirming that call on you. The elders of Israel anointed David as king, but David had already been anointed as a little boy. God calls, people confirm. David didn't wait until he became king to start serving. He became a shepherd leader with conviction and humility. Listen, when you answer God's call in your life, even if you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing, just start serving. Just start being committed, remembering who called you and who you are in him. Eventually, people will confirm that call in due time. I believe Psalm 23 is David's concise and masterful description of his journey with God. In a short poem, David depicts his incredible journey from shepherd to king. David comes to know God as shepherd. God calls David so that he can experience his loving care as the good shepherd. That's what David can say of him, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David came to know the Lord as a loving shepherd who provided for all his needs. You see, before David could shepherd the people of Israel, he had to know the good shepherd. God calls each of us to be a part of his redemptive purpose. You and I, you and I have a unique role in the grand redemptive plan of God. And the most basic part of that call is the call to know him as shepherd. He calls you to leave whatever you're following to leave whatever emptiness you're in and to come and know the one that can satisfy every need of your heart and your soul. When you answer God's call in your life to know him and to serve him, he will confirm it with his loving care and others will see it and will recognize it in due time. The second thing we see in David's life is that his character was conformed by preparation. David was 30 years old when he became king. Now, there were other kings in Israel that became kings at 8 or at 12 years old or at 16 years old. Why didn't God let David take the throne at a younger age? Someone asked me the other day as we've been going through this series, he said, why didn't God uh, make David king after he killed Goliath? I mean, that would have been a good time. Hey, you killed the giant. Everybody else is a coward. Saul wasn't worth a flip. So let's make David king. Why didn't God make him king earlier? Why did, did God let David go through all the persecution and peril by, by Saul? You know, the Lion King um, movie has been remade and both in the original and the new uh, movie, you see that Mufasa, the Lion King, has a son and, uh, and his Simba is dedicated. And as soon as young cub Simba uh, realizes that he's the next king in line, he kind of goes to his head really quick. And he, start tell, he starts singing a song to the, to the king's servant. He says, I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. And the bird says, well, I've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little hair. He says, I'm gonna be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up. On looking down, I'm working on my roar. 
And the bird says, thus far, a rather uninspiring thing. And he says, oh, I just can't wait to be king. And the bird says, you've rather a long way to go, young master, if you think. I just can't wait to be king. Simba had a few things to learn before he became king. And I believe the reason that David did not become king at an earlier age is because God was conforming him in character by preparation. David might have been mighty enough to conquer a giant. David might have been smart enough to win military campaigns. Those are two great qualities for a leader, to have strength and to have intelligence. But the people of God remind David, it's not just about strength and intelligence, but it's about shepherding God's people. That's a special skill. That's a special ability. Shepherding means leading with compassion. Shepherding means caring for those you lead. Shepherding means that you lead for the benefit of those who follow you, not for your own benefit. That quality of leadership, you learn it by following and trusting God through all situations, in the good times and in the hard times. And our character is shaped and refined and developed. Being a disciple maker is not just about your competence, but it's also about your character. It's not just about doing the things that, that Jesus did, but it's also about being like Jesus. Be between the, the, the call of Moses and his leading the Hebrews out of Egypt, he underwent 40 years of preparation. Think about that, 40 years. That's almost as old as I am. 40 years of preparation. A, a few of you a little slowly caught that, thank you. 40 years, Moses took care of his father-in-law's flocks. And I'm sure that during that time, Moses must have doubted himself. He must have questioned his identity. Did God really call me? Was I just having heat exhaustion when I saw the burning bush and heard a voice that maybe wasn't there? I, you know, I'm here year after year after year, decade after decade. What's going to happen with me? When you look at the ministry of Jesus, it is bookended by two very interesting events. There's an event at the beginning of his ministry where he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. And, and, and what happens in the wilderness is that Satan questions his identity. Just a few moments before, Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan River, and there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was a, a, an affirmation from the Father of Jesus' identity. And just a few moments later, as he's in the wilderness, the first thing that the devil says to, to Jesus is, if you are God's son, prove it. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not who you think you are. And it was 40 days of testing his identity, of questioning his call and his purpose in life, and Jesus was able to have victory there. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, you get to another event at the Garden of Gethsemane. He spends the night there the day before he dies, before he's crucified. And it's at the Garden of Gethsemane that is dark and that he's tried. Will Jesus really trust the Father with his plan, even if it costs suffering? and he is very alive. And it is in those dark moments, in those moments of question 
and struggle and perhaps doubt that Jesus finds himself the night before he dies. And the powerful thing that happens the next day, the perfect work on the cross of Calvary was accomplished because the battle was decided the night before. The victory at Calvary came because in the midst of the darkness and the struggle and the temptation, Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. David suffered persecution by Saul. He spent time in caves. He had moments of fear. Surely there were times when David must have questioned his call. Maybe Samuel got the wrong guy. Here I am running away from the king. He's gonna kill me anytime. That's why when David describes his journey with the great shepherd, he goes from green pastures and, and still waters into the valley of the shadow of death. He says, yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. And he knew about that. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Toby Mack would complete it and said, they comfort me when I'm beat down, broken. Hold my heart when it's split right wide open. Turn these eyes to my soul protector. Break the will of this born infector. The dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. I just came back yesterday from Corpus Christi. I was there Friday and Saturday visiting my sister, my, my younger sister. I only have one sister, she's younger. She's 43 years old. And she's been diagnosed with a very serious illness. And as we were uh, there visiting with my mom and with her and my brother, um, the word hospice came up. Now that's a scary word. You never think that when you saw your baby sister running around as a toddler and you would take care of her and you would rock her to sleep or you would help feed her, that one day you would be talking about her being placed in hospice. It's a tough place to be. I, I don't, I, I don't, can't even wrap my arms around it. And what I think is interesting when I, when I deal with people that are going through tragedies and crises is that, is that sometimes people, their first knee-jerk reaction is to think about what will make this more convenient. E even sometimes planning funerals, people think about convenience. <coughs> And I think it's so interesting because I think we're programmed for convenience and, and comfort and, and, and the reality is that a crisis never comes at a convenient time. The reality is that, that when we face the, the valley of the shadow of death, when, we, when we're in the dark places of our life, it's never comfortable. It's not supposed to be. You see, God is not as committed with my convenience as he's committed with my character forming. God is not as committed with your comfort as he is with making you Christ-like. And it is in the refining fire that he shapes our character and that he makes us the kind of person that he wants us to be. David, David's character was conformed and, uh, by preparation. God shapes your character and mine uh, as well through the crucible of suffering and waiting. Let me, let me say something to you today. If you're in that valley right now, if you're going to the dark place right now, listen, don't give up. Don't give up God's call on your life. Don't give up God's plan on your life. 
Say with the song, I am who he says I am. You are for me, not against me. The third thing that we see here is that covenant was completed by providence. Once the people recognized that David was God's man for the job as king, David made a covenant with the people before the Lord. It speaks of the kind of leader that David had become through suffering and, and the kind of leader that he would be. He didn't usurp the throne. He didn't take it by force. He, he didn't take it prematurely. He, he, he took it at God's time and he establishes a covenant. God established a covenant with his people. He, he said to the people of Israel, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I will love you and bless you and take care of you and you will obey me and, and reflect my character. It's a two-way street. A covenant is, is that kind of a thing. A marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman who say, I'm going to love you and I'm going to care for you in the good times and in the bad times. I'm here for the long haul. And David, learning from the covenant God, establishes the covenant with God's people. He says, this is the kind of king I'm going to be. This is what you can expect from me as a king and this is what I expect from you as a people. I expect your loyalty and I expect your, your respect and I expect you to follow me. God shaped David's character and his competency as a shepherd leader during his time of preparation. And this is the kind of leadership that he exercised. Shepherd leadership, or you might call it servant leadership, is also the kind of leadership that the apostle Peter tells church elders they should exercise. Church elders are pastors. First Peter chapter five, this is what the elder Peter, the, Peter at the end of his ministry tells uh, other elders and pastors, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What, what a powerful uh, scripture it is. Church leaders, such as elders and pastors, should lead like this. They should be shepherds of God's flock. That means they should be compassionate and caring. They, they shouldn't do their leadership because it's imposed on them as an obligation, but because they desire to do it voluntarily, not seeking uh, to profit financially, not seeking to have power, but serving the people. The shepherd leader's number one concern is to serve the people well. The shepherd leader's number one responsibility is to be a good example to others. The shepherd leader's number one motive is to give glory to the chief shepherd. That's the kind of leader that God wants for his church. That's the kind of leader that David committed to being for his people. But you know, this characteristic is not limited to elders and pastors and kings. It is for every believer, for every follower of Jesus, for every disciple maker. God calls us to be shepherd leaders, servant leaders, and we can learn that as we walk with the shepherd. As we walk with him, we learn to shepherd others. 
David arrived at the throne and, and he reigned 40 years. It was a unifying king. There was never a time that Israel was more united than when David was the king. He became an icon for, icon for the type of king that Israel desired in the future. There's a pattern that we see in the life of Moses, in the life of David, in the life of Jesus, in the life of others. There was a moment of call. There was a moment of challenge, a period of challenge. And then there is a time of completion of God's purpose in their lives. You can see the graphic here. Uh, there's a call. And that's usually an exciting time. There's a, a low valley where we are challenging our call. But then there comes a time of completion. In fact, that's not unique to Moses and David and Jesus. It is true of every person that God has called to follow him into his purpose. The call may be a burning bush. It may be the anointing in a humble home. It may be in the River Jordan or by the Galilee seaside. It may be at a youth camp. It may be in the Philippines. It may be in California. It may be in your bedroom. It may be in a Sunday school class. But the call comes to you and to me. God calls us. And then once we decide to follow him, once we receive that call, once we trust him into that journey, there will come a time of challenge. It might look like 40 years taking care of your father-in-law's flocks. It might look like 40 years without food and water, 40 days without food and water. It might look like hiding in the caves with fear when the king wants to kill you. It might look like being placed in a tomb thinking that all was over. There will be a time of challenge. It might be hanging out with Pumba and Timon and thinking that it's Akuna Matata. And then there's a moment of completion. When you're standing on the mountaintop and you look at the promised land and you remember God was faithful after 40 years of wandering to bring us where he promised he would bring us. Completion looks like arriving at the throne at 30 years old and staying there 40 years. It was a long journey, but God took him there. It might look like coming out of the tomb alive and say, no friends, it's not over. You can't keep him down. It might look like serving as an apostle or, or an ABF leader or a disciple maker or a missionary. So is your journey. God has called you, that's for sure. God has called you. That's why you're here. Most of you have said yes. Some of you are still thinking about it. And I'm here to tell you, stop thinking about it and say yes. There are periods of challenge where your faith is tested and your identity is questioned. Let me, let me remind you of who you are. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king and you're destined for greatness. You are made to rule with Jesus. You're made to walk with the shepherd and the savior and then to sit on thrones ruling along with Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Once David had left the journey in green pastures and still waters and had gone to the valley of the shadow of death, he arrived at a palace 
where the king was his host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was David's confidence as he journeyed from shepherd to king, as he became a shepherd king after God's heart, and that is our journey as well. And what I want to ask you today is, where do you find yourself today? Are you at the point of call? Are you still waiting for something? Do you just need to say yes today? Is that where you are? Do you need to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will trust you. I want to be part of your purpose. Or, or maybe you're at the challenge. Maybe you're in that valley that is dark and, and you're questioning your call. You're questioning your identity. You're questioning God's promises. And today you need to remember whose you are and who you are. That the God who called you and who took David all the way to the throne who took Jesus from the tomb and raised him up to be king of kings is the God who will pull you through that valley of the shadow of death and will take you to his destiny. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Will you claim that today? Maybe you're at the moment of completion. Maybe you've arrived Maybe you're there looking at the promised land and you're looking back and you say, man, that was a hard valley, but I'm glad I'm here. God has brought me to completion. And what you need to do is to look back at the other disciple makers and to be a mentor to them and to be an encourager to them and to say, you can do this. Walk with the shepherd. I walk with the shepherd and I got here. That's the only way to get to the other side. Would you stand with me? As you bow your head, in prayer, what is it that God is calling you to trust him in today? Is it in the call? Is it in the challenge? Is it in the completion? How has God spoken to you? And how do you need to respond? Maybe the very first thing you need to do is to, to trust him as Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Maybe you're like Boj, who's been coming to church for a long time, but, but you've never made a personal commitment to follow Jesus. And today is a day you need to do that. You need to open your heart and say, I trust you with my life. I will follow you wherever you lead me, to the highs and the lows, all the way to completion. Because you died for me and you rose from the dead, I can trust you to give me forgiveness, to make me a new person to be my shepherd king. Maybe there's another commitment you need to make, something you need to trust him with, something you need to release. Would you do it right now? As we sing, you continue to respond. If you want to come to the front and, and use the kneelers and pray, you, you can do that. If you want to talk to one of us, pastors up here will be up here. You let the Spirit move you and you respond accordingly as we sing.